Ah, yes, the good old days. And I don't mean going back like two or three decades. I mean, the good old days can be found just like in 2018, (laughs) when medicine was kind of a lot simpler, wasn't it? At least for certain things. Take, for example, preterm, pre-labor rupture of membranes, PPROM, at 34 weeks or above. I mean, in 2018, the college said, hey, if a patient had good gestational dating and she was 34 weeks or above with preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes, then proceeding directly to delivery, in other words, induction or a C-section if that was indicated, uh, could be considered best practice. I mean, you treat them just like they were early term at 37 weeks or above. But then ACOG's practice bulletin number 217 was released in March of 2020, which kind of redid that stance. You see, in 2020, just two years after that 2018 bulletin, ACOG now said, wait a minute, in 34 weeks and above in that late preterm interval up until 37, if a patient has preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes, it's okay to do expectant management. Oh my goodness, the good old days. I wish it would just go back when we had one way of doing it. Like at 34 weeks and above, you could just do induction of labor. Yeah, that's 21 Pilots and their song Stressed Out. Oh, to go back to the good old days when it was just a lot simpler, we had one way of doing it. But actually, aren't you glad that we don't have one way of doing it? I mean, data does move. Medicine does move fast. Because in February of 2023, on the 23rd to be exact, a new commentary was released in BJOG, who's putting the brakes, or at least calling attention, to that ACOG practice bulletin, which again was number 217, saying, hey, if you're going to do expected management, you should probably check that they do not have this one clinical criteria. We're going to explain that in this episode. So we're going to talk about 2018, move us up to 2020 with ACOG's practice bulletin number 217. And then we're going to cover this new current commentary from BJOG. Should you do expectant management in the late preterm interval between 34 and 36 weeks and six days? Well, it really does depend on this one clinical factor. We'll explain in just a minute. Podcast family, we're thankful that you're with us for this journey. And as always, stay with us until the end of the episode because we're going to provide for you the current expert opinion about the best practice for management of PROM in the late preterm interval and put that in perspective with ACOG's practice bulletin of 2020. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. We titled this podcast episode, The Dilemma, because it kind of is a dilemma. I mean, the more we know, the more we think about things, the more we kind of find ourselves chasing our tail kind of in a circle. And that's okay. We just need to know when to stop running and chasing the tail and when to actually do something. Does that make sense? You see, because in 2018, ACOG made it very clear regarding this issue of PPROM. Remember, that's preterm, pre-labor rupture of membranes. 
back in 2018, it was pretty clear. If somebody had good gestational criteria and their bag of water was ruptured, then you proceeded immediately to delivery just as if they were early term, like if they were 37 weeks or above. And that typically meant induction of labor. But if there was an indication for cesarean section, then it would be cesarean section as that route for delivery. But it was pretty clear. But then data started accumulating that started taking a look at expectant management up until 37 weeks, starting at 34 weeks. In other words, in that late preterm interval, that same interval where the ALPS trial was conducted. Remember that the ALPS trial, or ALPS, is the antepartum late prenatal steroids trial, and that's the data where we could now give steroids between 34 and 36 weeks and 6 days. It's that little slot of gestational age, that late preterm interval, that's getting a lot of attention lately. Man, it's no joke, this whole thing of medicine moves fast. I mean, ACOG's Practice Bulletin 217, which was released in 2020, just replaced Practice Bulletin 188, that was released in 2018. And that's just two years. And some even say even that was too slow to come out. The truth is information does move really quickly. But I want to highlight something from this 2020 practice bulletin, because this is where the management of PPROM changed for pregnancies in the late preterm interval. Let me read you ACOG's stance right now. Before I read you the text directly from ACOG's practice bulletin about this, let me just set the stage. We're talking about ruptured membranes with good gestational dating without any sort of suspicion of intramniotic infection or unstable maternal or fetal condition, right? That's obvious. I mean, if anything else is going on, then the plan should be for delivery. I just want to make that clear. But assuming that the maternal and fetal status is fine, it's stable, there's no evidence of intramniotic infection, ACOG says, hey, at 34 weeks in zero, based on some data that we're going to cover, really it's based on two studies and then one that combined the two in a, in a meta-analysis. So three publications, but really two parent studies based on that that information, yeah, expected management should be okay. Here's what ACOG says. The following is taken directly from ACOG's practice bulletin 217. At 34 and 0 weeks of gestation and before 37 weeks and 0, delivery has traditionally been recommended for all women with ruptured membranes. However, a recent large randomized trial of 1,839 women that evaluated immediate delivery shortly after diagnosis and preferably within 24 hours versus expectant management in patients with PROM between 34 weeks of gestation and 36 weeks and 6 days suggests benefits to expectant management. Expectant management was according to local practice at participating centers, with 73% of participants managed in a hospital setting. There was no significant difference in the primary outcome, which was neonatal sepsis, or in the secondary outcome of composite neonatal morbidity. Infants in the immediate delivery group had higher rates of respiratory distress and mechanical ventilation and spent more days in the intensive care unit. However, maternal adverse outcomes such as hemorrhage and infection were approximately two-fold higher with expectant management, although the rate of cesarean section was lower. The college goes on to say, Either expectant management or immediate delivery in patients with PROM between 34 weeks and zero and 36 weeks and six days is a reasonable option, although the balance between risk and benefit from both maternal and neonatal perspectives should be carefully considered, end quote. 
All right. Okay. Fine, fine, fine. Let's just recap here for a little bit. We've done 2018. Hey, 34 weeks in zero. Pretty much just get out. Nothing to gain. Pretty much only thing to, you can risk is an increased chance of infection, both for the mom and for the child. Just get out. Then came 2020. Well, hold on a minute. No, no. You can do expectant management. That's okay. So expectant management is better for the child, but potentially maybe a little bit worse for the mom because it can increase chance of intramniotic infection and then bleeding. So again, nothing is free. Pros and cons, right? And just to be clear, if you heard that correctly, ACOG is not recommending that you have to do expectant management. It's saying you can do either or as part of shared decision making. But notice one thing that's visibly absent from this discussion is GBS status. Here's where the debate, here's where the dilemma comes in. Look, GBS status is not an indication for delivery with preterm, pre-labor rupture of membranes under 34 weeks. I mean, it's not a consideration. Yeah, you're supposed to swap and send off for a GBS culture on admission, and that's the right thing to do. But because under 34 weeks, they're generally getting antibiotics for latency that covers GBS anyway, right? So that's not the issue. GBS is not a factor under 34 weeks. But this is where the BJOG current commentary under debate comes in. Remember, this was just released February 2023, and it's by three authors. Two are from the Netherlands, and one is from Australia. And they actually took a deeper dive into the data that ACOG used to make this statement in this practice bulletin. Remember, this recommendation for expectant management really only comes from two studies. One is called Promexil, that's P-R-O-M, E-X-I-L, that's the Promexil trial, that was a Dutch study, and the second was the PROMPT study, which was an Australian cohort, that's PROMPT, P-P-R-O-M-T, so we have Promexil and PROMPT. ACOG also does reference an independent data meta-analysis from 2018. Well, that meta-analysis took the individual data points from Promexel and the individual data points from Prompt, put them together and generated a meta-analysis, and then kicked out some information that again said, in general, hey, expect management can be okay, better for the baby, maybe a little bit higher risk for the mom, but either way, it's probably fine. But there's three main caveats here that weren't discussed in that ACOG practice bulletin that when this first came out, I read it. I'm like, well, I guess it's not a thing. But I'm glad these authors called to mind this issue because it is a thing. And that's the status of GBS carrier in the mother at this gestational age. So let me just beat it to the punch real quick and then explain how they got there. So according to these authors, if you actually take a look at Promexel and the PROMPT study and even that meta-analysis, in these trials, in patients that had GBS culture positive states, all right, so they came in between 34 weeks and 36 and 6 and were randomized to either expected management or immediate delivery, if you do a sub-analysis on those patients who actually tested positive for GBS by culture, there actually was a higher rate of neonatal sepsis in that cohort. So remember what we just said, GBS culture positive status isn't an issue under 34 weeks. But between 34 weeks and 36 and 6, in those patients who had GBS culture on admission, remember because we don't routinely do that at 34 weeks anymore, it now starts at 36 weeks and above. But for those who tested, who had the swab done on admission and were found to be GBS positive, and then had expectant management, they did have a higher risk of neonatal sepsis. 
Let me do a quick caveat, a quick side note about GBS testing, because I know NATs are out there, right? Nucleic acid amplification tests, and some labor and delivery units do that. And that's fine in a pinch, but according to the college, because of issues with sensitivity, NATs are not a replacement for culture between 36 weeks and 37 weeks and 6 days. Culture is the gold standard. Plus, you can isolate the bacteria in a culture and then run sensitivities, especially in patients that are penicillin allergic, okay? So gnats in a pinch for a point-of-care test are fine, but remember that some clinical factors can actually outpace a gnat result. In other words, if a patient comes at term, she has unknown GBS status because she's a drop-in, no prenatal care, and you swab her and she's GBS negative by gnat, great. But then she goes on to develop prolonged rupture of membranes more than 18 hours. Remember, that's a clinical risk factor for transmission of GBS and early onset infection. Then that clinical factor overrides that negative NAT because it's just not that good. So a negative NAT can be overwritten. Of course, if the NAT is positive, then the patient should receive the appropriate intrapartum prophylaxis. All of this is an ACOG's committee opinion, which is number 797, which replaced committee opinion 782. This current committee opinion was from February 2020. And regarding NATs, here's specifically what the college says. Quote, in patients who have an unknown GBS culture and who present at term, so that's the first catch, this is only for those at term, then consideration can be given to performing a GBS NAAT. Women with a negative NAAT do not require intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis. However, if maternal risk factors develop, GBS prophylaxis should be administered. This recommendation to administer antibiotics based on intrapartum risk factors would supersede negative NAT results because intrapartum NAT results are not 100% sensitive for the detection of GBS. All right, so we've covered ACOG's 2018 position, then ACOG's revised 2020 position. This now takes us to February of 2023 with the BJOG commentary listed under debate. Remember, this is from three authors. One is DeRug, the second is Pegert, and then the third is Mole. I'm sure I butchered those names. I am so sorry, but Dutch is something I'm not fluent in. I like what these authors did because they actually go into Promexel and in Prompt and actually piece out the data. Now, ACOG didn't hide this. If you listen to what I read earlier from ACOG's 2020 Practice Bulletin 217, it says that these data points, these two studies were done, quote, according to local practices at each institution, end quote. Did y'all catch that? Well, there's a lot there. And the idea was there was no uniform way of treating these patients when they came in. They either just got expected management um, or immediate delivery, and that was a plan. But then you could manage expected management with which, whichever way you wanted to. Well, that's a big factor. That's a huge variable because patients were managed according to local practice. And it was a lot of variance there. Plus, it's interesting, if you heard what I read before, it said, oh, you know, over 70% were managed as an inpatient. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying that some patients were over 34 weeks that were ruptured and were managed as an outpatient? That's right. That's exactly what some local policies were at those institutions. Of course, we don't do that in the U.S. So the, the applicability for more Western or U.S. medicine is just not there because we just don't manage patients the same. 
The other issue has to do with the amount of neonatal intubations. Because these authors point out that, look, this happened over many years when there was a change. There actually was a change in protocol here where not so many babies were intubated. I mean, they should have gone towards CPAP, which is what they would have had done here in the U.S. So in that in that result where the immediate delivery resulted in more mechanical ventilation, the applicability of that finding is unclear because at other places, they probably would have just been under CPAP. So I'm just trying to, I'm not killing those two studies. I'm just saying validated reasons that you should kind of question what these two studies showed. And obviously, if you take those results and then put them into the independent meta-analysis, well, it's going to show the same thing because both of those studies had that exact same outcome. So two same outcomes, put them together is going to give one same outcome, which was favoring, uh, or at least the consideration of favoring, um, the expectant management option. But again, if you piece out those that were admitted and had GBS culture positive on admission, the rates of neonatal sepsis was actually higher in that cohort. Let me read to you these authors' insights from BJOG. And I took a look at each individual trial, and they're absolutely right. The authors state, quote, in looking at the individual data meta-analysis, a pre-planned subgroup analysis showed a reduced risk of neonatal sepsis after induction of labor in patients with a positive vaginal culture on admission. The authors go on to say, although these results may be driven by the promexal data point, in prompt, the risk of neonatal sepsis in the case of any positive vaginal culture was nearly doubled from 2.1% to 4.7%. They state, quote, therefore, given the morbidity of neonatal sepsis and the data showing increased neonatal sepsis rates in patients testing positive for GBS, immediate delivery should be considered in these patients. Patients should be made aware of the risk for neonatal sepsis when opting for expectant management in the setting of a GBS positive culture. Okay, now that we get to the end of the episode, so what would you do? You have a patient with great gestational dates. There's no question she's definitely 34 weeks and zero. Or 34 weeks and one day. Whatever. She's in the late preterm interval, and she's clearly ruptured. Would you proceed to immediate delivery, or would you proceed to expectant management? Now, remember that there's also the caveat that we didn't really touch here, which was antepartum steroids. Because if you're going to plan delivery no sooner than 24 hours, but no later than seven days, then consideration can be given for antenatal corticosteroids in the late preterm interval. Of course, assuming she has not received steroids before and assuming that the patient does not have intraamniotic infection. No, suspected chorioamnionitis or intraamniotic infection is not a contraindication to steroids in general, but it is in the late preterm interval because that was not part of the patient design in the ALPS trial. Another hard stop for giving steroids in the late preterm interval, remember, is pregestational diabetes. So back to our question. So what would you do? Would you offer immediate delivery or expectant management, assuming that the patient is stable and there's no issues with the fetal status? Well, remember, the one clinical factor that probably should help you in deciding that is the GBS culture that's obtained on admission. So always get that GBS culture, especially if you don't have a result on file. By the way, remember, a GBS culture is good for five weeks. So if she had one done for whatever reason before the 36 weeks general screening rule, then it's valid for five weeks. 
And remember that according to the college, nucleic acid amplification tests for GBS should only be considered for patients with unknown culture results and who are at term. So NAT testing wouldn't qualify in this case. So according to the commentary authors from BJOG and even from expert opinion, they still stand with the more conservative approach of immediate delivery at 34 weeks or above with good gestational dates because of that risk of neonatal sepsis. That risk of neonatal sepsis is higher in that cohort of patients who test positive for GBS. So although GBS culture positivity is not a factor under 34 weeks, If they are screened positive on admission with PPROM and you're considering expectant management, you should likely rethink that stance if they are GBS positive because there is a higher risk of neonatal sepsis in that cohort. GBS positive culture on admission is that one clinical factor that's missing from ACOG's practice bulletin 217. So I'll leave you with the final quote from the BJOG current commentary. Quote, Based on the available evidence and depending on the use of antibiotics, in patients with PPROM at 34 to 37 weeks of gestation who test positive for GBS, induction of labor should be discussed and offered to the patients. Overall, individualized care through shared decision-making is recommended with clear counseling regarding the potential risk of neonatal sepsis resulting from GBS. All right, podcast family. Ah, the good old days. Yeah, let's seem so much simpler back then, wasn't it? I mean, obstetrics was just so cookbook. I mean, A plus B equals C, and that was it. You had ruptured membranes with good dates at 34 weeks or above. You just induced. But now we have shared decision making. But things like this current commentary from BJOG from February 2023 just puts things in perspective. So as always, we're thankful for you and we're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. Thank you.